0: This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, September 4th. And now, please rise for the singing of our national anthem. episode 108 of the A Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter Elliott. And I'm Paul Elliott. Thanks so much for listening. This is a weekly baseball podcast coming to you from Champaign, Illinois, home of the uh, University of Illinois Fighting Illini.
1: The 1-0 Fighting Illini.
0: Yep, they they took down uh, the powerhouse uh, Cardinals of Ball State on Saturday 24 to 21. Took a uh, two-minute drill touchdown mm-hmm. late in the game what, what was your take on the, the game did you watch it
1: uh i watched most of the second half from my living room our offensive line is atrocious but we've got some uh, skill players that uh can make some moves but yet yeah, generally not a great performance
0: yeah i was watching the alabama uh florida state game later that night mm-hmm. with some friends and i uh, i asked them how many players from Illinois' team could even touch the field in this game. And we thought maybe two. Yeah, Uh, but Dudek and Malik Turner, that's two receivers. So uh, not a good sign for Illinois' chances this year.
1: Yeah, good showing from the Big Ten, though. Um, You had the big Michigan win over uh, Florida. And uh, I don't think anyone else lost.
0: Uh, Or what was it? Purdue lost to Louisville. That's Indiana, right. Indiana lost to Ohio State.
1: Well, yeah, that's... But uh, Maryland beat Texas, right?
0: That's right. Yeah, that was the other big one. Intro to this week's podcast. Uh, we're going to do a couple different things. Uh, we're going to recap the Summer Flicks movie we watched this past week, Talent for the Game, uh, early 90s movie. It was memorable. Quite unique. And we're going to break it down with our friend David from Chicago. Uh, we're also going to look ahead to September baseball. This is the uh, last weekend without NFL football. So... uh before the NFL onslaughts you with their coverage gonna paint a picture for September the things to watch for, even for teams uh, in the playoff hunt that uh, have have a spot locked up So for each team we're going to look at their schedule, look at um, some players to watch for with injuries, um, a player to to keep an eye on that the team needs to, to make a deep playoff run, those sorts of things. So after that you should be prepared for a month uh, the last month of the regular season.
1: Best month of the season, in terms of baseball, at least. You think? Yeah. I mean, I guess I September so. September and October.
0: See, I don't think so. October's clearly the best. And then I go, I think I go July after that because of the trade deadline and the All-Star game. Hmm. And then I would go August and then September. Really? Yeah, I mean, I guess... So September always just has the feel of, uh, you know, the expanded rosters make things Kind of hard to watch sometimes. Yeah. And you got point. really good teams that end up having great months because other teams aren't trying as, as much to win.
1: Yeah, I suppose that's right. But um I just think baseball that means something
0: is is pretty cool. Last last weekend in September is pretty cool because that, that kind of has a playoff feel. All right. Before any of that, let's do our Nelly update. Uh Nelly was scheduled to play a show in Wilmington, North Carolina this weekend. It was actually canceled due to bad weather. He was scheduled to play on Sunday. Willie Nelson is scheduled to play the same venue on Tuesday night of this week. And a writer from the Wilmington paper, Bridget Callahan, wrote an article entitled "Willie Nelson and Nelly Have More in Common Than Both Playing Wilmington." Just to preface this, we're slow, not slow news week. We're not trashing this article, so uh, <laughs> do not want to hear from Bridget uh, like we did a past writer. Um, with some hate mail. So we, uh, I enjoyed the article. It was, it was, it was a fun piece, uh, and we're going to discuss it right now. So uh, Bridget says, Willie Nelson and Nellie have five things in common. Number one, they're both Grammy winners. Number two, they both like to party. Number three, they both hate taxes. Apparently Willie has had some trouble with the IRS like Nellie. Hmm. Uh, number four, they love their signature looks. And number five, they both love country music. Hmm. Uh, Nelly is 42 years old. Willie Nelson is 84. So twice Nelly's age. Uh, Paul, are you familiar with any of Willie, Willie Nelson's music?
1: I certainly know who he is, but no. Uh, when pressed, I don't think I could come up with a single Willie Nelson song.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. So before our banter segment... Uh, I'm going to play the YouTube video on his channel that had the most views. (laughs) Always on my mind.
2: Maybe I didn't love you Quite as often as I could have Maybe I didn't treat you Quite as good as I should have If I made you feel second best Girl, I'm sorry I was blind You were always on
0: my mind. You were always on my mind. Uh, Willie Nelson, good stuff. Uh, let's get into baseball. Maybe First up, uh, I feel like we have to talk about the Dodgers curse yeah. that we instituted last week. as pointed out by a uh, podcast listener, Michael, uh, with the hashtag AFITBcurse. Mm-hmm. First time that's been used feel like that's the sign that you're you're making it as a podcast yeah just like sports illustrated but yeah, and yeah, just to, to um, lay it out uh the dodgers have gone one in six since we recorded that podcast last weekend after we recorded they lost to the brewers on sunday and that was their first series loss since the first weekend in june and uh that one in six stretch includes a double header sweep to the 59 win padres hmm the only game that the Dodgers won this past week was started by Clayton Kershaw in his return from the t- uh, disabled list. Uh, with the win, he is now 16-2. And overall, the Dodgers are still 92-43, and which is pretty crazy. Uh, also crazy, they have a 14.5-game lead in the NL West, and they have a 10-game lead on the best record in baseball. So that's 10-game lead over the Nationals and the Astros. For home field throughout the playoffs.
1: Yeah, the I guess the sad thing though is that this past week probably cost them a chance at the uh, 116 mark or 117 to break the record.
0: Uh, they have to go 25 and two, so I think uh, <laughs> you would be accurate in saying that.
1: Yeah, they did. They had it a stretch earlier this year where they went 30 and four, I believe. Um, so they can rattle off wins, but probably not at that clip.
0: Yep, I think 110 is a realistic goal, and i uh, was just looking at. The list of uh, most wins in a season, you know, you know the the uh, Cubs from early 1900s, and then the um, Mariners from 2001, both mm-hmm. have won 16. But I hadn't really looked at the list below that. Uh, the 98 Yankees won 114 games. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 69 Orioles won 109. The 1970 Orioles won 108. So it's probably the best two year stretch for a team in history. The 1975 Reds won 108, and the 1986 Mets also won 108 games. Uh, all those teams, uh, except the 69 Orioles, won the World Series.
1: Hmm. The Mariners fascinate me. They s- set or tied the record for most wins in a season and haven't made the playoffs for the next 16 years, 17 years? Uh, six,
0: 2001. So this would be the 16th. Year.
1: 16th straight year, yeah.
0: Which, they're one of your 11 teams, though, so they they still have a chance, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, they theoretically have a chance.
0: All right, Uh, the other big news, Giancarlo Watch, he's up to 52 home runs. He finished August with 18, which is tied for second most homers in a month ever behind Sammy Sosa in uh, June of 1998. Uh, 52 home runs since the All-Star break. He's got 26 home runs. That's the most in baseball by a wide margin. Joey Gallo is next with 16. Hmm. Uh, 52 home runs is tied for 27th all time, which is up from uh, where he was last week at 63rd. And like I said last week, 58 homers gets him to the top 10. So that's kind of the number uh, I'm rooting for. And then once he gets there, you know, obviously, to get to 60 to tie Ruth would be pretty cool. But uh, he's not going to get anywhere close to Bonds, uh, 73. My prediction last week was 57, and so I'm going to stick with that. Uh, do you have a prediction, Paul? I will say 56. Got it. His second-half slugging percentage, I wrote a blog post about this this past week, at the at the end of August, uh, his slugging percentage for the second half ranked sixth all-time for any second half. Uh, he was at uh, 825 for slugging the only guys ahead of him were Bonds, Ruth, and Ted Williams. Pretty good company. He has fallen a bit to start August, uh, to start September. So he probably won't stay up there, but really impressive streak. And when I was looking at that, just a couple fun historical notes. Um, Babe Ruth, 1921 was probably his best season. I looked not just second halves, but first halves and second halves. When you break it down, um, his, both his first and a second half were in the top five ever for, for second percentage for halves of a season.
1: Hmm, and you're still coming out of the dead ball era, So he's doing that with.
0: Yeah. It's not like that's um, adjusted at all for like, you know, like a, uh, your war in a season adjusted right. to the players you play with, but his second percentage is just what, what it was compared to the same, same numbers from today. Mm-hmm. So 1921, both halves rank in the top five for halves and selecting percentage. And then uh, Babe Ruth, Barry Bonds, this backs up what you said a few weeks ago that Bonds, um, I said Ted Williams and Babe Ruth are the best hitters ever, and you said Bonds would be in there. Yes. Of the 25 halves of baseball, the top 25 in terms of slugging percentage, uh, Bonds and Ruth appear combined 14 times on that list. uh, Seven each. Hmm. Very impressive.
1: Um, A couple nuggets for me. Uh, Justin Verlander was traded.
0: Yeah, very active September trade deadline.
1: Yes, traded to the Astros. Justin Upton was also traded. Uh, but Verlander, reportedly, his f- favorite team or the team he wanted to be traded to was the Cubs. He had to kind of be convinced to go to Houston. He had a full no-trade clause. The Tigers are paying $16 million of the remaining $58 million on the contract.
0: For two more years after this year. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, so he's not um, an ace at this point in his career, I would say. Maybe a two or a three on a playoff team, uh, but certainly a good a good pickup for the Astros. The Indians have won 10 in a row. They're on fire, up to 23 games over five hundred, and they've kind of sealed the deal in the AL Central.
0: They're only a few games back of the Astros' best record in the American League. Yeah,
1: and then the last thing I had, the Cardinals um, seem to be busting at the seams, uh, earlier this week, they traded Mike Leake to the Mariners, and everyone speculated, or a lot of Cardinals people speculated that the reason they traded him was a salary dump to save money to sign uh, Lance Lynn next year. Lance Lynn came out later that day and had some some harsh words. Uh, he He said, and I quote, If you look at everything that's happened so far, there's been no acquisitions. There's been taking away, whether that's been injuries or trades. Whoever's coming up to make the start, we're going to need something good from them. We're testing our depth from within. Uh, Then referring to contract talks, he said, there's been no talks. There's been zero communication whatsoever.
0: Maybe you read different people, but the salary dump I saw more as a move for like a power bat like Giancarlo trading for him Hmm. or Machado and Harper that free agency I guess that would make sense like they have enough money to sign Lance Lynn how much is he gonna get yeah that's a good question having a great season but I don't know it seems like they if they wanted to keep Leak and sign Lance Lynn they had plenty of money to do that
1: yeah I think the bigger story I think for me at least was just this is another sign of sort of a fractured relationship between players management Matheny I know Matheny got an extension before this year, but it does seem like they they need a new voice in the clubhouse. This has been the third or fourth thing to pop up this year like this.
0: Uh, Cody Bellinger is back. He hit his 35th homer of the season on Saturday. He did that in just 105 games, and uh, this was surprising. Bellinger and Judge are their first pair of rookies to both hit 35 homers in a season. Would have thought that would have happened. Uh, 39 homers gets him the record for debut season. I think Frank Robinson uh, has that with 38 right now. He's definitely the NL Rookie of the Year, has that pretty much locked up. And uh, he's going to be the 18th Dodger to get the award since uh, it started in
1: 1947. Well, debut season would be different than, like McGuire has the rookie record at 49. He came up
0: uh, to end the previous season. So you're like, yeah, Trout came up in September, was bad, and then his rookie year was the next year. So the debut season would have been the the bad year. Catch him. Uh, So 70 years since 1947, the Dodgers had 17 winners. Bellinger would be the 18th. Paul, uh, I want to improve your guessing abilities. So how many of the previous 17 winners can you name without getting any wrong?
1: Lord, um, maybe one. Corey Seager.
0: Corey Seager was last year. We've uh, I would say maybe half this list on our podcast.
1: Uh Valenzuela.
0: Fernando Valenzuela, nineteen eighty one. Mm.
1: Did um is it Rick Monday I have like an amazing year with him? Oh wow. Not not there.
0: Not rookie of the year. An impressive two. <laughs>
1: Better than I thought. Keep, exceeded keep, exceeded, exceeded keep my going. expectations.
0: Just to clarify, you your third guess for Dodgers Rookie of the Year behind Seeger and Fernando Valenzuela was Rick Monday.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's confirmed. Um,
0: Perhaps think of the first person to win the award, the person it's named after now.
1: I don't know who it's named after, but uh, Roy Campanella, maybe? Jackie Robinson? Yay! Is,
0: 1947, Jackie Robinson.
1: I don't feel like that's in the common no, I think it vernacular. Is.
0: Well, among baseball fans.
1: Maybe. Uh,
0: Eric carros 1992. Mike Piazza, 1993. Mm. Rebel Mondesi, ninety four, Hideo Noma, 1995. are some big ones. Wow, Holland, they won it four years in a row. Five. Ted ninety six. Uh 1949, Don Newcomb, Joe Black, Jim Gillian, Frank Howard. Jim Lefevre. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, 1969, Ted Sizemore. Rick Sutcliffe, Steve Howe, Steve Sachs. I think that does it. Good work, Paul. Thanks. Always a winner. Uh, Trout and Harper updates. The news on uh, Mr. Harper is still not good. Dusty says he's a long way uh, from returning. And I had this quote. He said, I can sense a little frustration in his voice when I ask him, how are you doing? Or say, you're walking good. Usually he's not a smart aleck. But lately he's been a little short in temperament, and I can tell that's because he wants to play. <laughs> hmm. A positive update, though, I saw on his Instagram story that he's doing some, uh, some band work on his on his leg. So. Still
1: an avid follower of his Instagram.
0: Oh, yeah, that's great. Definitely a Mormon, heavy on the Mormon content. <laughs> uh, I think he'll be back by the playoffs. I'd be surprised if he wasn't. Uh, Mike Trout is back and playing great. He's up to 6.1 WAR. That's the good news for his MVP campaign, but the bad news is Jose Altuve has uh, been very good. He was 8 for 19 at the plate this past week. Uh, so Altuve, with that stretch, is up to 7.4 a war. Trout has been great as well. His last 10 games, he's got a 5.10 on base percentage. Uh, he reached base in 10 straight games as well. He's getting walked a ton. The main thing I'm rooting for, I don't think the MVP is all that realistic now with Altuve being so good, but uh, I'm hoping for a a 300 average, 400 or 450 on base and a 600 slugging.
1: Tommy Fame status?
0: Uh, Tommy Fame isn't close to that.
1: But that was what kind of initially got you onto that.
0: Tommy Fame was uh, 300 average, 400 slugging, 500. Or 300 average, 400 on base, 500 slugging. This is 300 average, 450. Oh, gotcha. On base. 600 slugging. Gotcha. I'm sorry. Uh, one last note before we get to talent for the game with David. Uh, our favorite relief pitcher in baseball, Dan Winkler, back on the mound. Yeah, it was great to see him. Pitching for the Braves now. He's the only major league player that we've uh, interviewed for our podcast. Uh, so he's back after a long rehab. Look great. Stint. He pitched against the Cubs this uh, past week. And uh, has been pretty good out of the bullpen so far.
1: Yeah, he was topping out at like 94, 95.
0: He's back to striking guys out, which was his specialty Mm -hmm. uh, in the minors. So props to Mr. Winkler. Make sure to uh, follow his September, hoping for uh, a good end to the season. Uh, Do you have anything else? I do not. What are you doing, kid? grab my plate. so back him off it's almost a lighter I can respect you okay you know what sushi is no raw fish can you believe that human beings eat raw fish <laughs>
2: <laughs> tell me while he's a head sweet nope I told him to bean you the what I told him to hit you in the head dick for short come on kid I let my bat do the talking sweet he's gonna throw next dick for sure hey screw you sweet throw him a fastball kid yes faster yeah that's right go a little faster sammy Ow. What was the velocity on that? One
0: throw it as hard as you can son
2: can believe it. 102. It's a new record. Yeah. How you feel, Dick? Fred? You better sign this kid before somebody else does. What you say this kid's name was?
0: Dean, Sammy Bodine.
2: What's his name? Come on in, kid.
0: Virgil Sweet.
2: Virgil. Sign
1: up.
0: All right, to break down the latest uh, summer flick movie, uh, Talent for the Game is our friend David from Chicago. David, welcome back to our podcast.
3: <laughs> hey, guys. How's it going?
0: <laughs> love it. Love it.
3: It's talent for the game, so you got to bring the energy.
0: Yeah, I love it. Uh, all right, so Talent for the Game came out <laughs> in 1991, brought in uh, a staggering amount of money at the box office, $336,000. It came out on New Year's Day. It's shocking to me that anyone saw this movie on New Year's Day.
3: I'm more shocked that it actually made it to theaters. Uh, the trailer, which we both tweeted out, the trailer doesn't look like a real trailer. It looks like something that like a fan put together like with clips from the movie. That's mm-hmm. why I was confused. Oh, if yeah. If this was a real movie. When you first sent me the trailer like months ago, I thought it was like a joke. And so I was like, oh, it's a funny joke. And then I looked it up. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I need to watch this movie immediately.
0: In a lot of ways, it was a bad trailer. But in, in another sense, it was a great trailer. Because I feel like the movie was exactly... Uh, what the trailer was like the movie was just an extended version of the trailer
3: yeah you you pretty much knew everything that was going to happen minus one huge event (laughs) from the trailer
1: i've never experienced a movie that had such like drastic shifts between scenes it started out with a baseball themed clip and then it immediately went into virgil like sort of playing pranks on his wife or girlfriend and at that point, Kate said, like, I don't know what I'm watching right now. Like, it almost felt like a different
0: movie. Yeah, the, the, the kitchen scene was classic. <laughs> where he, and, he chased his girlfriend around. And his girlfriend, Lorraine Bracco, uh, actually been in some good TV shows and movies. Goodfellas, yeah, she's in the Sopranos, Sopranos. Uh, Rizzoli and Isles. It's, uh, it was a good 90s baseball movie. Or entertaining. It wasn't it obviously wasn't very good. But uh uh maybe maybe we should walk the listeners through a basic plot synopsis because I feel yeah, like it,
3: you you want to take care of that? <laughs> 'Cause
0: it was a it was a pretty entertaining plot. Virgil Sweet is this old scout and uh his character was played by uh this Edward Almos guy, who's actually been in some decent stuff recently. Uh Dexter uh-huh. Narcos on on Netflix. I was shocked that he was still alive, honestly, because in '91 he looked he looked pretty old.
3: Yeah, he he didn't look great, but I think that was more of the era, and like I think it was cam- it was it was the camera. He's actually a great looking dude, but I just think it it, it was the role. He was yeah. playing the rough and scout, so he couldn't be you know real hot and made up.
0: Yeah. So uh, Virgil Sweet is this scout for the Angels. It seemed like his job was being threatened by by new ownership. That was saying, hey, you know, produce a prospect uh, or you're gone. Mm-hmm. So he, he goes out on the road uh, to look for a prospect. His car breaks down. He's with his girlfriend and uh, apparently breaks down somewhere in Idaho, rural Idaho, and uh, wanders upon Sammy Bodine, the best baseball player that Virgil has ever seen. And he's been around the game a long time. Mm-hmm. That's the exact quote that he tells Sammy's mother. Uh, an interesting twist: Sammy is conflicted. He's not sure if he wants to play baseball because his dad is a pastor, and he's going to pass the the pastor role down to his son, which is not at all how pastor jobs work, <laughs> at least in the churches that I've attended. You've never been to Idaho? Yeah. Uh, this was the early '90s, so maybe it was it was uh, a different different time back then, but. Uh, uh, so at that point you kind of you're picturing how the rest of the movie is going to go. You know, Sammy's going to come up. He's going to be a great great player for the Angels, and uh, it's going to go kind of to script. But uh, it doesn't go to script. The, the The owner makes this rash decision to start him in the major leagues. His his first game. He's never pitched in the minors. At the opening press conference, he's lowered from the the rafters of a of a church building. You know, he's called the gift from the heavens. Uh, And then his first start uh, does not start well. He gives up like six straight base runners. The Angels' defense is terrible behind him. Uh, They're gonna yeah.
3: That was underrated. Like the baseball sequences, actually not that terrible. the The Angels' defense was really bad, and they were like. What's this Bodine kid doing? It's like a soft grounder up the middle. <laughs> the Angels' defense looks like they've never seen a ground ball before. I thought that was funny.
0: It's like the scene in Angels in the Outfield when the the ball like pops around the infield, and uh, yeah, the guy gets yeah. like a home run. Yeah. So, the, the, but the the climax of the movie, and this was actually very unexpected. I did not see this coming. Virgil disguises himself as a catcher to settle Sammy down, and uh, has a dramatic moment where he walks out to the mound. And uh, reveals himself to Sammy, and then. Uh, but it also seems like it's a moment for Virgil as well. Like he went, he's always dream- dreamed of catching in the big leagues, so this yeah. is his way of doing that. Uh, and then uh, he's I guess, he strikes a batter out, and then the rest is uh, history.
3: Two things: one, Virgil's girlfriend works for the Angels in in a role that is we don't actually know what she does, but. She's like out on the road with Virgil like half the time,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and then the other half the time she's like, "It's like when Sammy goes to try out, she's on the field, like I don't know, like with the manager, like right next to the manager, and she's the one from the trailer." Bodine, Sammy, Bodine. I mean, like, what is, what is her job? Yeah, that she's like, a, she's
0: like cheering for him. She like, he like throws a strike, and she's like, "Wow!" <laughs> yeah, that was
3: like one of my favorite. Like just clearly cheering for the prospect that they are trying to look at and find it's like, yeah, maybe we should be professional, but I guess not. Yeah. The, the I think we, we skated over Virgil's scouting scenes in this movie because they are tremendous. Mm-hmm. The opening scene is he's going down into a coal mine with like the, the helmet and the light. <laughs> and he's just yucking it up while there's coal miners. And then they get to like the bottom of the mine. And he takes out a home plate and just throws it on the ground. <laughs> and I guess he's looking at this pitcher who is also a coal miner. Yeah, I really like to believe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So he's a coal miner slash pitcher. Virgil catches like five pitches, and then he's like, "You like, you've got some talent. Like, keep working on it." And that's like the scene. And it's like you could have waited until a different time get him out of the mind but uh and then the other one was he was in the it's a pouring rain he's in the barn the pitcher is like under another shelter and they're like going back and forth playing pitch and catch through the rain which i thought was very interesting well, I don't it, know was, if it was great that was uh, like
0: that. virgil insisted on catching his pitching prospects that he looked at which is uh, i can't believe that's a standard uh practice among scouts today
3: yeah, I think, I mean, Virgil as a scout is interesting. All he does is, like, talk to himself, slash the pitcher, slash is he talking to the ball as the uh, guys are pitching to him? So, I don't know if, like, that's where he, like, gets his mojo from. Kind of like this uh mantra, if you will, as he's catching where he's like, yeah, son, let it all out. Throw the ball. It's like... And like, who are you talking? To? Like, I thought at the end the umpire was going to be like, catcher, who are you talking? To? But uh,
1: <laughs> he has a very memorable, Virgil's like, umpire. toothy, toothy grin through the uh, the face mask, the catcher's mask.
3: Yeah, I, if I had to power rank the characters from this movie, Virgil's one. Yep. In another galaxy, Danny's two. Uh, because he's like the naive kid. Do you remember the scene at his signing where he's dancing with that like lawyer lady? Mm-hmm. By the way, that that description of like the movie is just all you need to know. It's so wild. Yeah. Uh he's dancing with that attorney and she's like I can like you know, clearly evil, clearly like trying to line her pockets with Sammy's talent. Uh I thought he was too I'd probably put Lauren Bracco three. I don't know. I forgot what her character's name is. And then the owner who is so evil, as has a ponytail,
0: mm-hmm. uh, drives a limo on the field during batting practice.
3: Yeah. Just so in case you didn't know who on the team, yeah on the team.
0: Yeah. I have Sammy O'Dean. Great name for a fictional baseball player. Oh, Virgil
1: sweet is up there too.
0: Yeah. Virgil sweet was great. Uh, under underrated moment in the film is the end when Sammy is making his contract demands. He, yeah, let's see. He, he gets like, like a real small amount. I'm sure it was big back then, but it was like $4 million guaranteed or something like that. But as part of that, he refuses to pitch on turf, which back then was like half the stadiums. Yeah. So that's not going to go over well with fans or players. And then I feel like there's a, a couple other like qualifiers in the in well, the contract,
3: know why he refused to pitch on turf?
1: No, it's kind of random.
0: Maybe it was like a it was like a political statement, like we're for the players. Okay. I don't know.
3: Maybe this whole movie was paid for by like grass lobbyists or something, and then they just flip that right in at the end.
0: Yeah, I like it.
1: One um one other significant thing I learned from the movie I didn't realize how romantic a um, a shoeless foot to like the throat can be when you are driving a car. Multiple scenes with uh, with that, yeah, and we're led, we're led to believe it's sort of an intimate moment and not like a prank.
0: Well, what's Virgil's not driving either? I don't like that. He needs to be driving the car.
1: You mean his girlfriend's driving?
0: Yeah, his girlfriend's driving. He's flicking sunflower seeds at her. <laughs> well, uh, do we have anything to add to this classic,
1: uh, David? I'm curious. We watched uh, Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off with you last year. Is two, that right?
0: Two years ago. And then what did we watch with you last year? What did we watch last year? Wasn't It It was one of the 90s. It was like, uh, was it Angels in the Outfield?
3: It was Angels in the Outfield, yeah.
1: Would this definitely be the worst of those three?
3: Uh, if I had to rank the three, it's tough. Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off loses points because it's like 65 minutes long. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like an extended TV episode. So I'd probably rank it Angels in the Outfield one. Uh, and then talent for the game, and then Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off. But, again, that's mostly just because Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off was a Disney Channel movie, so it's, like, really short. I feel like they could have extended the plot.
0: Yep. Yeah, I mean, this is your classic movie. It's, like, so bad that it's good. Like, it's... Yeah. It was... it was. Uh, I haven't laughed that hard in a movie in years. But, it, I mean, it's when, not intentional
3: when virgil took the mask off at the end of the movie it was a top 3 shocking movie <laughs> moment of all time what what al-
0: what else would what like what what other ends to movies is it compare it with
3: uh like star wars 5 when vader tells luke he's his father
0: uh like, <laughs>
3: is that good of a movie reveal
0: i feel like inception when the, the thing's spinning at the end i feel like that's kind of a, yeah. a cliffhanger
3: in D two, when Russ Tyler dresses up as Goldberg, so he can get the knuckle puck off.
0: Yeah, I mean most most it's odd, like most sports movies don't have that big a moment, like a a shocking moment. Usually, it's like some some big hitter comes up and you like end up getting him out or something. But uh, yeah, it was a surprising twist.
3: Peter, how did you stumble upon this film?
0: I think I just googled baseball yeah. movies and was looking looking through the list and uh, was intrigued by by this one. I had never heard of it before.
3: I'm surprised it made any list, personally. <laughs> but I mean, I'm now since you guys so graciously gifted it to me on DVD. Hmm. Now, and you guys were ragging on buying DVDs last week. Uh, I'm a big DVD guy, and nice. it's not because I think they're, like, the future. I think they will become really outdated eventually. It's just so that if I ever have children, I have hours of entertainment to give them, and I can, like, shape their pop culture views, mm. so I don't have to deal with, like, them watching things I don't like.
0: Yeah. Well, so, and I'm very
3: pro-DVD.
0: Eventually, DVDs will make a comeback, and they'll be worth money.
3: It's a good point. Are we there with VHS tapes yet?
0: No, that's a good point. Maybe we won't. Uh, we won't reach that level.
3: I mean, we're there with vinyl, but like again, different medium. So maybe it's a bit different. But I do think the DVDs will be worth something someday. And how many how many copies of Talent for the Game do you think there are on Earth?
1: That's a great point. So
0: we—that's a good question. We watched the movie on Monday night. In the whole world, prior to that. When's the last time someone watched that movie?
3: I would be shocked if it was. It we're I, I would say at least a year. <laughs> what? I, I think someone else has probably stumbled upon
0: it, like we have, within the past two or three years. But <laughs>
1: isn't the whole thing on YouTube? The
0: past year. Yeah. Though. Well, it's. It is on YouTube. It's pretty bad video quality, though. I, I think someone. I think three other people watched it in August.
3: Yeah, I mean that might be maybe I'm underestimating it by saying no one watched it in 2017, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe this three, you know?
0: All right. Well, uh, David, thank you so much for, uh, being a loyal summer flicks viewer. The only, th- uh, three Pete winner of the contest. So, uh, it's been a pleasure and, uh, until next summer.
3: Yeah. I'll see you guys for, uh, maybe talent for the game too.
0: <laughs> the sequel. Oh, that would be great. I think everyone's still alive. Get the cast back together.
3: Virgil, do you want to write this movie like in 10 seconds? (laughs) Go for it. Sammy Bodine had a long career in the majors, gets forced to retire, becomes a scout for a rival team. Who are the Angels' big rivals?
0: (sighs) Probably the Dodgers, right? Same area.
3: All right. He becomes a scout for the Dodgers. He like... Goes to visit Virgil to like find himself again. Virgil is like in Florida or something. I don't know. How
0: about uh, no, Vir- Virgil and uh, Lorraine Bracco had a child, and that child is of, is of the age to be a pitcher.
3: But Virgil Virgil had a bad experience near the end of his career, so he's like, I don't want my kid playing baseball. <laughs> and Sammy's <laughs> like, He's got a gift, Virgil. You gotta let him play. All right, we wrote this movie. I'll go. I'll go. You know, put pen to paper.
0: And the one scene, instead of uh, Sammy creepily being behind Virgil, asking him if he's ready, it's the Ooh. it's the opposite. Virgil is behind Sammy, and he's wondering if his son is ready.
3: And that's the, that's the movie poster.
0: <laughs> Let's make it happen. All right, All right. David. Uh, thank you so much, and uh, have a good rest of your Sunday.
3: All right, take it easy, guys.
0: I want a million dollar bonus, non refundable upon signing my new contract. I want a million dollars a year, guaranteed for six years. And I want to be paid whether I'm injured
1: or not. Oh, and one more thing, Gil. I won't play on artificial turf. David for that. Our last summer flicks viewing will be Monday. We're watching uh, Pride of the Yankees. should be a good one.
0: Yep, 92% in Rotten Tomatoes, so uh, I've never seen it. Looking forward to it. Uh, check our uh, Twitter out Monday night uh, or go back to Monday if you're listening to this later in the week.
1: Yeah, if you're looking for some Labor Day entertainment. Uh, for Out of the Box this week, I'm going to talk about local TV ratings. Peter, I feel like this is typically... Your domain. Yeah. Uh, but Craig Edwards from Fangraphs wrote up a, a quick little piece uh, on Monday of this past week and just a few nuggets from it that I thought were interesting and I'd like to share with our audience. The Yankees, Braves, Dodgers, and Indians have had the biggest uh, increases in ratings this year. Uh, the Royals, Marlins, Pirates, and A's have had the biggest decreases. A lot of that is due to just winning and losing. On any given night in the U.S., 2.46 million households tune in to a local MLB telecast, which is a slight decrease from last year, but an increase from two years ago. So it's kind of plateaued. Uh, in terms of competition, MLB is doing incredibly well. Local MLB broadcasts rank as the top rated program in 11 markets this year. That's obviously on average. That means that B broadcasts in those 11 markets are beating out the likes of Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Fallon, uh, Big Bang Theory, or any other kind of network show. <laughs>
0: those are Paul's three favorite shows, everyone.
1: Uh, well, isn't Big Bang Theory like the I highest haven't. rated? I just know you're a fan of it. I am not a fan of it, Is no. You
0: You watched dozens of episodes in college.
1: I had a roommate freshman year who really liked the show.
0: You, would, you watched a lot of it. It's entertaining. It's not.
1: Uh last two nuggets uh in Los Angeles, the Dodgers are only on in uh half the households due to a weird cable dispute thing, but they're still the number one rated uh show or program in l a which I thought was interesting
0: well, the issue is uh the Dodgers got like two billion dollars for their the rights to their games, so then the company that paid that money wants to get that money back, so they charge a lot of money for Correct. cable providers to put it on there list of channels and cable providers have been unwilling to do that both sides are holding that i guess yep
1: and then uh lastly the oakland a's uh in the bay area are the only team that isn't in the top three in their local market um they are the seventh most watched show in the bay area so just uh yeah i thought interesting piece mlb for all its, you know, being knocked and in in kind of the, the public sphere for not being interesting, kind of being boring, and you know, baseball is dying. That narrative doesn't seem to bear out in the the local TV ratings, at least.
0: Seem like this year that hasn't been uh, a main narrative. I feel like the home run derby, last year's World Series, kind of have um, nixed that theory. Yeah, I mean, you still hear like individual people say, "Oh, I don't watch baseball; it's too boring." But mm-hmm. overall, I feel like the narrative is uh, kind of on the way out. All right, uh, my out-of-the-box is a quick one. CC Sabathia this past week had some interesting things to say about the Red Sox. So in Thursday night's start, uh, Sabathia pitched great, uh, like he has all year against the Red Sox. Uh, Yankees won the game 6-2, to two, but the talk uh, afterwards was all about Sabathia uh, being upset that the uh, Red Sox bunted against him. So uh, Sabathia had these quotes to say uh, after the game. uh, Eduardo Nunez of the Red Sox bunted in the first inning of uh, Thursday night's game, and Sabathia made uh, a throwing error on the play. But he said the following, I'm an old man, so they should go out and want to kick my butt. I just feel like they tried to take the weak road. Uh, He went on to say, it's kind of weak to me. It is what it is. It just shows what they got over there. Uh, so Sabathia having a surprisingly good season, 3.71 ERA. But against the Red Sox, he is 4-0 with a 1.04 ERA. A start earlier this year, I, I actually wrote a uh, blog post about it. It was his highest game score in five years, going back to 2012. Uh, it was a, uh, The Yankees won the game 8-0, but Sabathia went eight shutout innings on 95 pitches, gave up just five hits, and a game score of 77. So he uh, kind of owns them, uh, b- but obviously, <laughs> his take on the Red Sox bunting is uh, is pretty silly.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree.
0: Uh, I feel like anytime someone says you can't bunt, uh, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you are not supposed to bunt to break up a no hitter or a perfect game. That's stupid. Yeah, uh, you are not supposed to bunt. I guess on an old pitcher, also stupid. Uh, the only time where I agree where you shouldn't bunt is when someone says uh, you shouldn't sacrifice bunt. Mm-hmm. that's a smart smart thing but like lester last year i feel like uh teams didn't bun on him in the playoffs or even in the regular season i think some of that is because of just like pride reasons or not mm-hmm. wanting to like embarrass him which uh is just stupid like you should if a, if a pitcher can't fill this position you should try to make him do it
1: yeah i was trying to think of an equivalent in another sport and there's really like no other like it's a legitimate strategy when it's zero zero and the in a normal gameplay, but somehow in these rare circumstances. So.
0: Yeah. I mean, Nunez is a terrible hitter. I don't know why he's hitting second for the Red Sox, but he's got like a average. He's average utility player, like Bunning's part of his game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like if, if you uh, in basketball, like Shaq bad for their shooter or Dwight Howard, like if you stop fouling them, stop doing the hack a Shaq on them because you were like afraid of embarrassing them on the free throw line. Right. But that doesn't seem to happen. Yep, I agree with you. Ridiculous. Well, that was out of the box. Next up,
2: TWTW. When you can put some of those categories, you know, you got your OBPS and all that and the VORPs. When they can put in TWTW and then interface those numbers with TWTW under that category, then you might have something cooking. What TW is? Yeah, what is that? That's the will to win.
1: Quicker at TWTW for me this week, uh, read a really interesting essay in the New York Times this week, Jay Caspian-Kong, uh, spent some time thinking through why some stats catch on and other stats don't, and um, when he's talking about a stat catching on, he's sort of talking about in the, the public sphere, the public vernacular. Um, to help him understand that issue, he interviewed Tom Tango, who's a guy that we've talked about before on the podcast. That's not his real name, but I don't think we know his real name.
0: Uh, yeah, I have no idea what his name is.
1: Uh, he works for MLB Advanced Media, and he's been kind of a blogger for a while in the sabermetric community. Uh, as a starting point, Tango shared a quote from Billy James that I thought was really interesting. Uh, he said, this is James, uh, if you have a metric that never matches up with the eye test, it's probably wrong. And if a stat never surprises you, it's probably useless. But if four out of five times it tells you what you know, and one out of five times it surprises you, you might have something. And then working for Major League Baseball, Tango's job is to sort of take uh, data and turn it into baseball stats that not only capture what is actually happening on the field, but also engages the average fan. So for example, um, MLB has a stat called barrels. That takes into account exit velocity and launch angle. also has a metric called catch probability, or it gives a star rating and a percentage based on objective data like you know the outfielder's path and their speed and the the launch angle of the ball off the bat, that sort of thing. Kong's kind of main point and where I'll end is that a stat like exit velocity will have much more staying power in the regular lexicon of the average fan. More so than like on base percentage or war, because its terms are uh, simple and consistent with what fans already know. You know, everyone knows that a pitcher who throws 95 miles per hour uh, is a really good pitcher or throws hard. So when we hear that Aaron Judge hits a homer that comes off the bat at 100 miles per hour, we sort of that, that's memorable to us, or we kind of know what we're talking about, as opposed to maybe, you know, someone citing on a broadcast that Mike Trout has a a six war that just Mm -hmm. takes some more explanation for the average fan um so i thought um, so
0: who is making this take
1: uh kong the author of the essay
0: i disagree completely like think except like uh, the average baseball fan knows what a good war is and knows what a good on base is you're if you're talking about like a a person that just watches like game seven last year's world series they're, think, they're, of, they're, think of they'll someone ne- in be- they'll, they'll never pick up on exit velocity.
1: Think of someone in between a person who watches one game a year and somebody who knows yeah, sabermetric I, terms.
0: I don't think these catch probabilities, hit probabilities, um, launch angle, uh, exit velocity. I don't think any of that stuff's going to get picked up by those people. Hmm. They're not going to learn any new baseball stats.
1: Yeah, I think exit velocity has a better chance. Over, but I mean, over it, the long term, then. I
0: just disagree. I think I think war and on base have it better because they've had more of a track record. The way it gets worked in a normal lexicon is if the baseball diehards like us, us just talking about it forever, and then like eventually, I think average people just pick up on it.
1: Hmm. Embrace the debate. I side with Kong.
0: You think so? In ten years, you think? I don't even know who a good example of someone those, those fans don't even exist almost some in between this, the like watch once a year and die hard. It seems like most baseball fans are diehards. Hmm. So in 10 years, you're saying that exit velocity exit velocity is going to be talked about amongst uh, like people that go to a couple games a year versus like on base percentage
1: Uh, on base percentage less. So I'm the, I guess the kind of the hard um, data that is somewhat complex like war um where you don't know exactly no one, what goes yeah, into war, it. Yeah, war
0: is unique. No one knows how to figure it out, but I just feel like it it's good at pumping out uh, like accurate information. Hmm. I Feel like it more than any other stat backs up the the Tango or the Bill Jane's quote about um what was it eight, 90% of the time uh 80% 80% of the time. Yeah. It, it backs up what you think in 20%. Of oh yeah, yeah. A,
1: I love war. I just think to a, a normal fan or average fan, lukewarm fan, whatever you want to call them, war is, is kind of like over their head or it's too complex to grasp. I,
0: just, I don't think new stats are going to catch on. All right, that was TWTW. We'll uh, have a link to that in the, the podcast episode page. Next up, Sounds of the Game.
2: Three and two to Tony Phillips. Lansford down the line from third with two out. Steinbach on deck. Five-two Dodgers in the ninth. Got him! They've done it like the 1969 Mets. It's the impossible dream revisited. A fastball, nine strikeouts for Hershiser. He gives up a total of four hits. And look at the Bob. It looked like he was going to be replaced, but he hung in. her Bulldog is quite a name. And meanwhile, Jose Canseco quietly goes back to the dressing room the biggest single gun for the Oakland Athletics thoroughly muffled in the series and Mr. Oral Hershiser senior can finally relax for a moment. The A's a great hitting ball club hit 177 in the series and scored a total of 11 runs in five games never would have believed it unless you saw it. You'd have to attribute it to pretty good pitching, very good pitching. And especially by the leader on the staff, the master of the house, Oral Hersheiser, who has had really the most remarkable length of success of any pitcher I have ever seen.
0: That was Vince Scully calling the end to the 1988 World Series. Oral Hersheiser finished off uh, that game. Complete game, shutout. Uh, this was Hershizer's 1988 season. He won the Cy Young, Gold Glove, NLCS MVP, World Series MVP, and had the 59 innings score the streak.
1: Hall of Famer or no?
0: No. Uh, so one of the best seasons ever for a pitcher. Oral Hershizer, 1988. And uh, I was thinking about that season because earlier this week, I, I uh, released my top 10 most impressive baseball streaks on the website and uh we'll we'll link to that in the, the podcast episode page, but my top ten and this is game to game this doesn't count like uh you know twenty straight seasons with twenty homers or something like that. This is just uh individual game streaks or individual uh, in game streaks so uh number ten was consecutive strikes thrown, Bartolo cologne well, how many do you think he threw? <laughs> Oh, this is going to be fantastic. Um, For all these, I'm going to have you guess.
1: Consecutive strikes.
0: Thrown in the game. Bartolo Colon, 2012.
1: He threw 24. 38.
0: Not too bad. Uh, number nine, consecutive saves converted. 80, no, I gave it to you. 84, Eric Gagne, early 2000s. Number eight, uh, consecutive games with 10 or more strikeouts. Pedro Martinez and Chris uh, Sale. Eight. That's right. Corset actually has done it twice now. Number seven, consecutive games with a home run. Don Mattingly, Ken Griffey Jr., Dale Long. Uh seven. Eight as well. Number six, consecutive scoreless innings.
1: 59.
0: 59, yep, I just said it. Uh, number five, consecutive games reaching base. Ted Williams, nineteen forty nine.
1: Man. Uh sixty five. Eighty-four.
0: Hmm. Number four, consecutive no-hitters, Johnny Vandermeer, 1938.
1: Consecutive no-hitters, two.
0: (laughs) You took two more seconds than you needed to on that one. Number three, consecutive stolen base attempts without getting caught, Vince Coleman, 1988.
1: Ooh, that's a good one. Um, 34. 50. That's impressive.
0: Number two, consecutive games played and started, Cal Ripken, 1982. Two to 1998.
1: Uh, was it 2,507?
0: Well, when he broke the record. It was 2,632 by the time the streak was over. And number one, consecutive games with a hit. 59? 56. 56. Joe DiMaggio, 1941. In
1: the, in the same ballpark.
0: Man. Uh, what do you, What do you attribute, you know, obviously you're a very passionate baseball fan <laughs> and know a ton about the game. I'm not, you know, I would never say that you don't. But... Uh, it's not my thing. In terms of details in, in, in baseball history, what do you attribute? I'm more,
1: I'm more drawn to um, a holistic,
0: like a narrative-based approach. Yes. So, like Philly Dreams. Yeah.
1: Specific like um, data points aren't all that memorable to me. Mm.
0: For instance, Rick Monday being your third guess on Dodgers rookies of the year.
1: Yeah, and I'm also I'm not a very quick thinker, mm. so.
0: Perhaps why I got a better ACT score than you. Perhaps, yes. All right, this week's sounds of the Game segment, uh, we're going to listen to Cal Ripken Jr.'s record-breaking game. He passed Lou Gehrig on the consecutive games played streak. The crowd cheered for, uh, I think, over 18 minutes. So we won't play all 18 minutes, but we'll play a couple minutes now, and then to end this week's podcast, we'll also play uh, a few minutes. So enjoy. If easily gets on Tony Phillips would
2: come up. This is not a man that. Messina wants to walk he's only a 2 10 hitter he has only one hit in the series he has been slumping lately. Well, Moose comes back after him with a fastball it's 3 and 1.
3: Well most pitchers realize the consequences of walking the number nine hitter. and Usually the number nine hitter is,
2: is, is the worst hitter in the lineup. Popped him up. Manny Alexander out in the right field. He's got it. And now it's time for the moment you've been waiting for. from the bullpen to the dugout to congratulate Cal Ripken. All the relief pitchers. Everybody out of the bullpen coming into the dugout. It is official now. Cal Ripken has broken Luke Eric's record. A new record set by the Orioles Iron man, 2,131 consecutive games.
0: Last segment on this week's podcast, we're going to, we're going to paint a playoff picture for you, looking ahead to September. Uh, the eight National League teams, eleven American League, so nineteen teams total that still have a legitimate chance to make the playoffs. For each team, we're going to uh, discuss kind of where they're at currently. We're going to rank how hard their schedule is in September. Uh, look at some injury concerns that they have things they need to get shirred up before the playoffs one player on their team that they need to 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 play well to go far in september or to go far in october and then uh any kind of milestone events for players or teams to watch for in september all right paul maybe you do american league first and then uh i'll do nationally i feel like it makes sense to do it all together
1: sure i will try to get through these fairly quickly Let's start with the Red Sox out in the AL East. Four and a half game lead on the Yankees. Uh, they're scheduled in September, I would rate as a, a 5 out of 10. Um, pretty even split between home and away games. Uh, team's winning percentage is slightly under 500, but not uh, terribly far under 500. So I guess just going kind of a, an average schedule the rest of the way. Nothing to write home about. Uh, in terms of injuries, David Price I think would be the most significant one. Left elbow inflammation went on the DL back in um, the end of uh, July, and he just started throwing off the mound for the first time uh, last week. And uh, you know, there's already conversation about will he start in the playoffs? Will he be used out of the bullpen? Um, I think without a a really good starter, David Price, the Red Sox won't make the world series i think they need him in the rotation to to, to make the world you series say
0: without a very good starter david price
1: yeah i was trying to think of how to word that but um and then uh, a player that they also need i think to go far in the playoffs is chris sale you know he's been fantastic but he's struggled recently gave up 10 runs in 10 innings back-to-back starts against the yankees and the indians two potential playoff teams and historically he hasn't been great in september um since He became a starter in 2012. His ERA in the last month of the regular season is 3.86, which is a full run higher than his normal ERA. Uh, Moving on to the Indians, Uh, they have an eight-game lead on the Twins, so their schedule doesn't really matter all that much. They've got the the Central tied up. I think Andrew Miller is the answer to both the injury question and the guy they need to make a run. Um, I didn't know he was hurt. Yes, patella tendinitis. He's progressed to playing long toss and throwing off flat ground. He'll be evaluated uh, this upcoming week to determine when he'll be able to throw off the mound. Uh, Jason Kipnis has also been hurt. He just started running on flat ground. He's had a, a hamstring injury that has sidelined him twice. He's
0: been, he's been terrible all season.
1: Yeah, um, but he was arguably a top two or three offensive player for them last year. Um, and I, think, I just think Miller is key for them. Their rotation outside of Kluber is not great. You know that they'd be counting on guys like Clevenger or Tomlin or Bauer, whoever they pick to be that third starter. And without a healthy, dominant Miller, I just think you're going to lose those games uh, in the playoffs. Moving on to the Astros, uh, they are 12 and a half games up on the Angels in the AL West. You know, the biggest lead. So, again, schedule isn't all that important in September. Um, the most important guy for them, I think or two guys, I would say, are Keichel and Verlander. Uh, I think their offense and their depth offensively are going to be fine, but um, I think Keichel has to be uh, dominant. He has to be an ace. Um, He was awesome in the first half. You know, potential Cy Young award winner got hurt and hasn't been as good in the second half. They needed him and Verlander to to pitch well to make the World Series. Injury-wise, Carlos Correa, he um, actually was... Uh, today, Sunday, was his first day back. He had been out with a, a torn ligament in his thumb since mid July. Uh, Lance McCullers is another guy. He's probably their number three now after getting Verlander. He's been out for a month and is expected back uh, Wednesday. Um, so Correa and McCullers for your injury watch there. Moving into the wild card, the Yankees are a game up on the first wild card spot. Uh, Their schedule is a five, I would say, similar to the Red Sox. They have a few more games at home than the Red Sox, but um, the winning percentage of teams they play the rest of the way is over 500. I really think their pitching has to solidify for them to have any chance of a long postseason run. Their bullpen is deep and dominant, but it's, it's a matter of getting there some nights. So I'll say that the two most important guys for them are Sonny Gray and Tanaka. Uh, injury-wise, relatively clean. Um, Clint Frazier, an outfielder, and Aaron Hicks are both hurt. Um, not injuries that are debilitating or anything like that. Twins are a half game up or one and a half games up on the second wild card spot. They've been the most surprising team in the American League. I would say their schedule uh, is an eight, eight out of ten, ten being the easiest. They have ten the, being the hardest. Oh, then I'd give it a two. They have the easiest schedule left of uh, any team in contention. Winning percentage of teams they face the rest of the way is uh, 477. Uh,
0: You'd give it a three.
1: Right. Sorry. Had to think think about that for a second. Like I said, not a fast thinker. Uh, Injury-wise, Byron Buxton and Miguel Sano. Buxton is day-to-day after hurting his left hand, um, swinging actually against the White Sox. This past week, Miguel Sano has been on the DL since... uh, August 20th with some shin issues. I think Buxton is also the answer to the question you know, who's the guy they need to um, play well to make a run? He's been a beast lately. Most people had written him off in the first half, but he's been one of the best outfielders in the, the second half. So he's got to continue to play well and he has to be healthy. The Angels are one and a half games back in that wild card behind the Twins. Uh, I'd say their schedule is a, a six out of 10, winning percentage of 504. So slightly above 500, and they play more games away than at home. Justin Upton's a really interesting guy. They just traded for him. Uh, he is having a surprisingly stellar season, 5.1 war this year. So one of the best outfielders in the American League. Combine him and Trout. Who knows what could happen? Uh, injury-wise, nothing really too uh, significant there. know Escobar is, is out, but not a, not a great player. Uh, Baltimore, two and a half games back. I'd say their schedule is a 6 out of 10. They uh, have an even split of games at home and away, winning percentage of five twelve for teams they play. No significant injuries for Baltimore. I'd say they need just decent starting pitching to have any chance, and Dylan Bundy has been an interesting guy of late through a one-hit complete game shutout in his last start. If he can pitch like an ace, Uh, then they would have at least one decent starting pitcher and would have a chance. Their lineup is so good that they really just need one or two guys to step up uh, in the starting rotation. Got uh, four teams left. The Mariners are three and a half back. I would write them off. They have just been killed with starting pitcher injuries this year. James Paxton, Felix Hernandez, Iwakima are all out. If Hernandez and Paxton somehow come back, they just threw their first bullpen sessions um, this past week. If they can come back and get you know two or three decent starts, maybe. But um, I would write them off at this point. Uh, Tampa Bay is four games back of the second wild card. They have the toughest schedule of any team left. Chris Archer is a guy to look out for with an injury. Left left his last start against the White Sox this past weekend with forearm tightness. Without him, I think they're done with him. Uh, they could have a chance. Texas is four back. uh, The second hardest schedule left. Winning percentage of five twelve against teams the rest of the way. Um, Adrian Beltre just tweaked his hamstring. He'll likely miss the rest of the season. And I think when they traded Darvish, they kind of knew that they wouldn't have a a real shot at the playoffs. So I would um, write them off. And then lastly, Kansas City, four and a half games back. Uh, Danny Duffy just went on the DL and I feel like after he went on the DL, their season was pretty much over. He's their ace, their best pitcher by far. And without him, which it sounds like they're going to lose him for the rest of the season. He had a DUI too. Had a DUI too. I don't think they have much of a chance.
0: So if you had to predict right now, uh, Angels or, uh, Astros or, uh, Indians best record.
1: Uh, I will go with the Astros.
0: So Astros play the wild card winner. Who are the two wild card representatives?
1: Yankees and the Angels.
0: Trout's going to make it. I think so. Uh, so, Astros play the Yankees?
1: Yes. And then the um, Indians and the Red Sox. Red Sox, yep. Yeah. A
0: couple of good series. Uh, all right. National League. Uh, I've got fewer teams, so it shouldn't take quite as long. The three teams that, uh, similar to the American League, the three division. Leaders at this point seem to have uh, their spots locked up. The Nationals are on pace for 98 wins. The Cubs are on pace for 90 wins. And the Dodgers are on pace for 110. Just quickly for each of them. uh, The Nationals' injury risks. uh, Max Scherzer is coming back from injury. Same with Steven Strasburg. Uh, Bryce Harper is on the DL. We've talked about him a lot. And uh, Trey Turner just came back. So if they get Harper back, Scherzer and Strasburg, if they're pitching well... At the end of the month, they are have, a, have just as good a shot as anyone to, to win the World Series. Uh, the player that I think needs to do well for them to go far in October is Bryce Harper. All right, the Cubs on pace for 90 wins. For me, um, Kyle Schwarber is the key to a deep October run. He uh, has been deep, uh, better since the all-star break. 338 on base percentage and a 530 slugging. Uh, John Lester, I think is also very important to get him going well because, uh, last year he was, he was kind of the number one in the, in the playoffs, uh, three, uh, players to watch that have injury risks. John Lester just came back and pitched okay on Saturday, but wasn't himself. Addison Russell, uh, they're hoping that he comes back last week, of the regular season. Uh, and then Wilson Contreras should, should come back in the next week or 10 days. The Dodgers are on pace for 110 wins. Uh, They have some injury things to sort out, but none of them seem all that serious. Uh, Kershaw just came back uh, a few days ago. Hugh Darvish also just made a return, but he wasn't very good on Saturday. Cody Bellinger uh, looks to be fine after spraining his ankle. And Alex Wood uh, should make his first start back from the DL soon. Uh, The player that I think needs to do well for them to go far in the playoffs is Seager. I think Turner will be fine. Their pitching will be fine. Jansen out of the bullpen's a beast, but I think Seeger needs to to do well to kind of give them another stud in the lineup. Uh, Some milestones to watch for, which Paul failed to mention any.
1: That's correct. No milestones (laughs) in the American League. Mm.
0: Uh, Except uh, Trout's 300, 450, 600 season. That's correct. Which Tommy Pham, of course, is nowhere close to
1: doing. I also think Poulos has hit a bunch of homers and is probably coming up on somebody but I failed to look at that.
0: I think he's close to having the worst season of any regular player ever. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kershaw milestones, 20 games. uh, He's got 16 wins right now and then 110 wins for the Dodgers. I feel like that would be pretty cool. The Diamondbacks are on pace for 93 wins. They've won nine in a row as of Sunday. They are fairly healthy. The guys that are out are out for the season. Uh, They've got a few bench players that are coming back, but, um, Kind of what you see is what you get. I think Zach Grinke is key. He'll pitch the wild card playoff game, and then he'll he'll get a a start probably in the middle of the, if they win that, uh, a start game three or game four of the division round against the Dodgers. So he's important. The other wild card spot is the one that's up for grabs, and I give four teams a realistic shot at it. The Rockies, Brewers, Cardinals, and Marlins. Uh, The Rockies are leading that group now. They are on pace for 86 wins. And because of that, I'm going to say that the team that wins 86 from that group is is the winner. So the goal for each of these teams is to get to 86 wins. The Rockies would have to go 14 and 12 to get there, and they've been playing really poorly. So that would be kind of a daunting task at this point. Their schedule, I ranked uh, 6 out of 10. They've got 7 versus the Dodgers, 3 against the Diamondbacks, and then 12 against... Uh, the Giants of Padres. Uh, they just need one of their starting starting pitchers to step up and be dominant, I think, to go far in the playoffs because uh, I think their hitters will be fine, but they just need one of their young pitchers to really step up. Milestone for them, they haven't made the playoffs for eight years, so that would be a big deal for them. The Brewers are next. They actually, I think, would be the favorite at this point. Uh, to get to 86, they'd have to go 15 and 10, depending on what happens on sunday but uh, their schedule i give them right in the middle five out of ten they've got one series against the marlins and then the rest is against uh, the four teams in the nl central uh, so pirates and reds pretty easy cardinals and cubs may be more difficult the brewers haven't made the playoffs for six years and i think uh, jimmy nelson their ace uh, their best starter needs to to pitch uh, his best for them to go far the Cardinals need to go 18-8 and eight to get to 86, so definitely a long shot. Their schedule, though, is pretty easy. I give it a 4 out of 10. They have four games against the Padres this week. A sweep of that four-game set would be huge for them. Um, if they split or lose the series, I think they're finished. But if they, if they win four, maybe three out of four, then I think they still have a chance. Uh, they play only the NL Central after that. The, the the player I think that really needs to step up for them is Carlos Martinez. They've had guys like uh, Luke Weaver and Waka pitch okay. Um, Weaver pitched great last time out, but I think Martinez needs to step up. This will be their 10th straight year of going over five hundred, And right now they're on pace for 82 wins, so it's kind of right on that line. The last team is the Marlins. They are definitely a big, long shot. They'd have to go 19-7. and seven. They're on uh, on pace for 80 wins right now. Uh, their schedule is by far the easiest, though. Eight versus the Braves. Uh, and they also have games against teams that are ahead of them in the wild cards. Three against the Rockies and three against the Brewers. You know, they might need to sweep uh, one, one of those two series to, to give themselves a chance. And Gene Carlo needs to keep carrying them. The rest of their team isn't very good. So if Gene Carlo isn't as good as he has been, then I think they don't have a chance uh, to win the wild card or to go far in the playoffs. Milestones, Gene Carlo, home runs. Yeah, we've talked about it a ton, but he's got a chance at 60. So in the National League, I think it's pretty set. You've got Cubs Nationals and then Dodgers versus uh, whoever wins the Diamondbacks, other Wild Card winner. So I'll go Dodgers, Diamondbacks, Cubs Nationals.
1: Do you think the American League or the National League has the more exciting?
0: Oh, National League for sure. You've got D.C., Chicago, L.A., uh, all represented, and then uh, I get Arizona's a pretty decent market too
1: should be a fun last couple months
0: absolutely all right well, that does it for our September preview uh next up we will close out the podcast. <laughs>
1: Peter, before we close the podcast, we have a correction we need to make. What's that? Earlier, you had stated that Eduardo Nunez is a 170 hitter. Uh, he is currently batting 309 and is a lifetime 281 hitter. So, Eduardo, we apologize. Well, are
0: you sure it was Eduardo? Uh,
1: you referred to their number two hitter, and well, you said, I don't know why they were batting Nunez what? second.
0: Well, oh, no, I'm looking at the basket now. Eduardo Nunez, you, you are correct. 309 average, 12 home runs, 338 on base. Pretty good player. Mm-hmm. So maybe he shouldn't have been bunny. Also, a correction from last week. Paul referred to Alicia from Field of Dreams as having a obsession with purple hats. It was actually blue hats. Huh. So apology accepted.
1: <laughs> Sorry about that.
0: All right. Closing out the podcast, uh, next week is our last summer flex recap, Pride of the Yankees. We'll talk with our friend Matt from Minnesota about that one. Uh, 2005 MP Baseball Updates. Paul and I are going to play a game right now. He's up uh, 7-1 in the standings. We'll just see how many games we can get to this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll fire that up right now. So follow follow us on Twitter for that. Uh, make sure to f- subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Find us on Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Send us emails at afootinthebox at com follow us on Twitter at a foot in the box and check us out online at a Uh anything else Paul
1: thanks for listening thanks for allowing us to do this and as a reminder keep a foot in the box
0: we'll talk to you next week
2: this game, and following the game, an elaborate post-game ceremony will take place. Bobby Vanilla with his video cam. Brooke Barnett, Julia really Clubhouse boy, in tears. Oh, what a time. Roland Heeman, his wife Margot. Frank Robinson's wife Barbara. Jeffrey Hammond, proud to be playing with a great veteran like Kyle Richter. Oil's owner, Peter Angelos, in the top row. Certainly a wonderful moment for him. President Clinton, Vice President, Gore, and Kyle Ripton will again come out of the dugout.